Dispatches from Afghanistan. Inside the mysterious Nuristan, a Taliban training camp, and why Bo Bugdal is featured on a host billboard. This week, we travel through Nanganha, Kuna, and the mysterious, hard-to-reach province of Nuristan. It truly is the land of light, peppered with frozen hilltops and curious, kind faces emerging from the thick and untamed terrain. Indeed, getting there was no easy feat, entailing hours of splattering through rocky mountain tracks, some steeped in snow, and all of it coated in the unknown. My favourite moment in the off-grid adventure happened when, as we were hiking through the valley, littered with rare earth, when the young gemstone miners in the cave started dynamiting the rock above, triggering us to bolt for cover. But in the end, when my heart rate went back down a touch, they spotted us and invited us up into their fascinating little mining home operation and then into their one-room wooden home in the mountains for tea. Afghans are genuinely hospitable people. The men poured us little bowls of popcorn from their backpacks and found us peanuts to shell as they talked about their lives, the coming winter, the challenges embedded in their beleaguered country. On my travels, I'm also reminded of the degree to which Afghans bear the physical wounds of war with no reprieve. So many have lost limbs, rendering them ever more tangled in the struggle to survive. Unable to work or take on physical labor jobs, there are no government handouts. Moreover, the Afghan economy is already sliding into crushing despair. With winter sweeping in and next to no NGO support compared to what previously existed, my heart goes out to those suffering the jarring physical manifestations of what conflict does to combatants and civilians alike. As a Kabul doctor told me weeks ago, from those those from poor families who become disabled are sometimes deemed a burden on their families as everyone is battling to find enough food and shelter to survive another day. If they step on a landmine or something, the doctor whispered sadly, it is just better often for some families if they die. This young man approached us in Nuristan in the streets for help. He was shot in the hand by a stray bullet and was struggling to find work and feed his family. I recognize the tremendous challenge that comes in asking for help in a land embedded on the pillars of pride and dignity. I am also in awe of those who can smile through such hardships and the resilience that stems from understanding that this too shall pass somehow. I'm also aghast more and more each day regarding the level of corruption that infected this beautiful country and the decisive role it played in the Taliban coming back into power. I can only hope the US and other countries that entered the Afghan war theatre learn from the wincing past two decades that corruption lingers at the root of the extremist recruitment. In many ways, it was fraud that opened the floodgates to the Taliban. Multiple military insiders stressed to me that the level of corruption swelled throughout 2021 when it became clear the United States was on its way out, with the Taliban able to pay off troops of all echelons for information and insider attacks. But long before that, cash flooded the country and into the hands of corrupt officials and their friends and family, with the US taxpayer essentially funding projects that never got off the ground or eroded in a season or two. 
Most of this money flow seemingly drifted unchecked and with little accountability, providing the Taliban with the perfect recruiting tool for disaffected and frustrated Afghans to pounce upon. Life today inside a Taliban training camp. At first glance, it appears a region so remote, set upon lush streaming valleys without roads and unreachable by regular vehicles, that it must have been untouched by the decades of brutal conflict that masticated much of Afghanistan. But delve a little deeper into the archaic clay homes, the faded colour of walnut, set on the foothills above the lush and overgrown streams and hints of something slightly sinister start to emerge. We weave into the tiny, six-family village of Yordin, meaning one religion in Pashto, tucked deep into Logar's Kushi district, inside the town of Dobandi. Residents say they have always been under the control of the Taliban, even throughout the past two decades of crisis and conflict. This area has never been under the government's control. They only had a few checkpoints on top of mountains, and they would sometimes try to enter the village with full force. Still, they never got full control here, affirms Jeanette Gull, 34, who is known as Engineer Mosidik within the Taliban, and now works in Logar's Public Health Commission. A collection of crumbling stone dwellings spread upon a small mountain for decades are filled with secrets. Now abandoned, those bunkers and dusty tracks curling toward the hilltops not so long ago served as the sinister training ground for the Taliban's contingency of suicide bombers. 150 suicide Taliban soldiers lived here. They created a bunker to hide, Gul continues, motioning to rectangular apertures in the mud brick caves. In this area, we had our suicide bombing vests and we trained suicide bombers here, so we had 150 people ready to commit to a suicide bombing. However, at some point the intense, during the intense fighting, the Taliban top brass received word that the area would be bombarded. Thus, the insurgent fighters fled, leaving their explosive ordnance devices behind to detonate upon Afghan soldiers. Throughout its decades-long insurgency, the Taliban unleashed scores of deadly suicide attacks targeting the Afghan government and NATO forces with countless civilians caught in the crossfire. According to many Taliban commanders I have interviewed over the past weeks, such training will continue across Afghanistan, despite their rise to power, ready to go should another group or country ever purport to interfere on their soil. It's a patch of existence so removed from the bustle. While only 40 jagged miles from Kabul, there are no longer holes in the earth used for squat toilets, no semblance of showers or internet or connection with the world outside the faded mountains. Even the Taliban fighters dotting the area at first wonder if I am a man, the idea of a woman outside working strikingly unfathomable. Most of the Taliban's family members live in this village from each house at least one member as either a father, a brother or a son who is part of the Taliban regime. Gul explains as to why the government could never get a grasp on the quaint, timeless place. Splutter through the streams a little further and a splattering of primordial hut homes idle in the late afternoon light, projecting a gloom across the expansive terrain. Small children with matted straw hair, rotting teeth and eyelashes lathered in dust roam barefoot on the cold earth, wrapped in thin, colourful clothes, hardly fitting for the perpetual winter chill in the isolated carton of the world. One small boy seems to have found a Santa Claus hat that he uses as some semblance of protection for his ears cleaved by frost. 
There are no women in sight. For the most part, most marry young and only surface again into the somewhat public sphere of old age. It is a parcel some outsiders have ventured through, although never stopping. Its haunting isolation and lack of government control over the years has made the secluded village a key smuggling route for cash-strapped Afghans. Everything from weapons and wood to opium, cannabis and cars apparently moved through the willowy spot, mainly to Kabul and Lagman or to Paktia and then potentially into Pakistan. While their day-to-day life has not changed regarding the new government, the baggage of the financial hardship is hitting home. The primary source of income has long been agriculture and the selling of wood. Click to read more about the terror training camps in Loga. Behind a billboard of Bo Bagdell, Host maintains anti-Taliban ways. It's one of the few stretches of road among the, these winding hills and twisting valleys that remains paved and intact, untouched by the two-decade war that crippled most of Afghanistan's land arteries. But the road from Kabul to Host, 150 miles by way of Logar and Paktia, is a serene drive through a lush and primitive landscape tucked inside the blood-stained land. Yet the province of 650,000 comes with a chilling history. It's home to much of the Haqqani family, and this thoroughfare was long used for Al-Qaeda and Taliban operatives to trundle in and out of the Pakistan tribal region of Wuristan, Waziristan, where extremist madrasas and training camps have flourished. On a dusty field in the city of Host, a giant billboard lit by full sunshine caught my eye. It features Bo Bagdal, the U.S. Army soldier who deserted his post in the neighboring province of Paktia and was ultimately held captive by the Taliban-affiliated Haqqani Network from 2009 to 2014. He was released on May 31, 2014, as part of a prisoner exchange for five high-ranking Taliban members, one of whom is now the provincial governor, held at Guantanamo Bay. Martyrs of religion, country, and holy path are similar to shining stars of nations and world history whose names and actions can't be drowned in monthly, annual, and decade oceans. The Pashtun poem by Khalid Zadran reads alongside the picture of a distraught-looking Bagdad and a smiling mullah named Sangin Fatah. The Bagdad billboard in Host is less a celebration of the captured American than a tribute to Fatah, who was killed in 2013 by a U.S. drone strike and is remembered as a favorite leader among the Haqqanis. In another busy spot in the city center, a billboard featuring Fatah reads, Afghan Mujahid, who closed the invading American soldier's eyes and tied his hands and made the West realize the outcome of the invasion. As I walk the streets though, none of the civilians I speak with really seem to know why the glaring billboard is there, even though the host governor is Mohammed Nabri Amri, one of the five men exchanged for Baghdad. And you can click to read more about the anti-Taliban sentiment in Host. Also, if you would like to listen to more Afghanistan observations, please join the Atlantic Council panel happening with me this Wednesday. And you can register on the link in the newsletter and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. And thank you to my brilliant photographer at Jake Simkin Photos on Instagram um, for allowing me to use his beautiful photographs. And also please consider a paid subscription to allow us to continue this work.